Welcome to Hair Metal Memories. We're your hosts. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And uh, today we're going to talk about the self-titled Badlands album. Uh, I'm super excited about this one. This is one of them when uh, Aaron and I were first hanging out and just talking about hair metal. This was one of them that came up that we realized that we both loved and was sort of like one of the albums that kind of forced the idea of having this podcast in general. So uh, Quite correct. Yeah, so this, this, this is kind of an exciting moment for us to be give, having the chance to do this album. Um, of course, uh, Badlands uh, is most well-known, I think, as uh, the project of Jake E. Lee, who was like the guitar player for Ozzy Osbourne. Um, so a, a little bit about Jake E. Lee. He was in a, his first band was called Teaser, which is uh, in honor of Tommy Bolin, who is an Iowa boy. So we have an Iowa connection to Jakey e. Lee. Bam. Yeah, right there. <laughs> uh, Jakey e. Lee was a member of a band called Mickey Rat, which later became just Rat, the hair metal band. So he kind of like was in the scene at the time. And he played with Dio briefly. Oh, I missed that little factoid. Well, grabbed. Oh. All right. Yeah, he wrote at least one of the songs that ended up being on Holy Diver. Um, so he, he was definitely in the scene there. And then, uh, and then he was recommended to be in Ozzy's band and it was, uh, and Ozzy was torn between Jakey e. Lee and George Lynch, who we talked in our previous episode, one of our previous episodes right. about, about, about Dawkins. Um, so they were like the hot shot guitar players in the scene. Um, Jakey e. Lee played with Ozzy for five years and there's kind of an interesting story how he was fired. <laughs> Via facts, because it's 1986, and what other right. fancy way would you get fired? <laughs> yeah, and uh, and it was like rumored he was like he heard rumors that he was fired, and so he had to call Sharon Osbourne to confirm it, and he had to confront her with it. So that probably caused a bit of bad blood. Um, and as this happens with Ozzy a lot, there was songwriting credit issues. Right. Yeah, he's a pretty prominent songwriter on the on the albums that he um, helped write, you know, or that he played on. So, um, so he has a lot of like good songwriting chops in him, as well as just being a hell of a guitar player. Um, we've also got the singer Ray. Ray is it Gillen or Gillen? I've always guessed Gillen. Yeah, it looks like but... Gillen, who was uh, in Sabotage, and and. More popularly well-known, it was in Black Sabbath. He recorded the demos for... Uh, that's Eternal Idol, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. he recorded the demos for it before he was replaced by uh, 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 Tony Martin. Yeah. So that's kind of a good mutual connection. And uh, he was briefly uh, going to be in Blue Murder with John Sykes, who also had a band called Badlands. So that's probably what planted the seed for it. Um, and then after that fell through, he contacted Jakey e. Lee... And then he used to be in Sabbath with Eric Singer, and uh, and so he contacted him because he was like a friend, and that was how Badlands sort of like ended up being born. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Eric Singer. Eric Singer, that guy has quite the quite the little career under his belt. Yeah, he's like the who's who of drummers. I mean, honestly, I first became aware of him because as a young rock kid in the early '90s. Uh, you know, it was a big deal that, oh my God, Eric Carr was dying and, and Kiss, yeah. Kiss needed a new drummer. Who is this guy? Oh, it's Eric Singer. Who's he? You know, what's that all about? So that was where, I, that was my jumping in point and I I went from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he played with Lita Ford. He played with Black Sabbath. Uh, he played with Gary Moore, who I just wanted to stop and like put a little bookmark there. Uh, there's at least one Gary Moore album that I think we should cover in a future podcast. Uh, there's a Gary Moore album called After the War that I think would be All right, an excellent, I'm game for that. Um, it would be an excellent one. Uh, and then he played in Paul Stanley's band. 
And he played with an, an Olivia Newton-John video. Oh, my gosh. Which I thought was kind of interesting. I see that he did work with uh, he did work with Gilby Clark. Not as I mean, it was a pretty brief association mm-hmm. comparatively. A uh, bunch of Alice Cooper records. Bunch of Alice Cooper. Just about a decade of Alice Cooper records. Yeah, and then and then of course the big break was playing with Kiss. Um, and I and something else I learned from doing research for this is that uh, he still plays to this day in Paul Stanley's Motown band Soul Station. Yes, I did not know Paul Stanley had a Motown band until uh, doing research for this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's I, I read a lot of the the metal news sites and um, they brought that up at one point. I haven't actually listened to it or anything like that, but yeah, he's been doing this project oh. for a number of years now. I think I I, I honestly couldn't say if they've recorded anything yet. I could look, but we're just gonna yeah, there's got to be videos or something I, it got me curious i kind of want to i want to get a taste of paul stanley's motown band <laughs> you gotta wonder right, right? You how can you not want to know <laughs> and then sort of a weird side note uh eric singer is on the jury of what the watchmaker's highest award he apparently collects timepieces and has a keen eye for detail on timepieces really he's one of the foremost experts on uh on watches in the world and that's funny. That's, you know, a, a funny side point to that is uh, Dan Spitz, the uh, guitar player who was the lead guitar player from Anthrax mm-hmm. for many years. When he he quit Anthrax after, I think it was the Sound of White Noise album, and he went on to be a, a watchmaker, and he won awards for his no shit. his watchmaking. He's, like, certified and everything, and yeah, so. There's a weird crossover between hair metal and watchmaking that we are just now discovering. <laughs> so, yeah, you just... It's sort of like when you when you delve into baseball stats, you find things that make no sense because ultimately right. the further into something you want to learn, the less sense it makes as you go. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, and a, sort of a little bit of a foreshadowing there. Uh, on bass we have Greg Chason, I think you pronounce his name, who uh is is a bassist who also auditioned for Ozzy, which makes me feel like basically all this stuff is like a huge Ozzy club. I think like the goal of like most musicians in the eighties was to get into the Ozzy club. If you at well, least, I mean, it's hard to fault them. That means you get yeah. to be on a platinum record, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, well, and then you know, yeah. well, as we as we established, yeah. in, a, in, a, in something that you haven't heard yet, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there's there's a there's like a focal point that you know a lot of these bands from the '80s and and had played with Ozzy all go mm-hmm. through. You'll hear this later, but a guy named Dana Strum that will be. Yeah. A little bit further more expanded upon, but yeah. So through him, you get all these people who go and play with Ozzy, and then they know each other from having all yeah. associated with Ozzy briefly. And I mean, even Frankie yeah. Benali has said that he spent time like he he yeah. claims more exposure with Ozzy than maybe he actually did because other people have confirmed that he was there, uh-huh. but maybe doesn't have any 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 credit in songwriting as he may or may not have claimed. Yeah, it's like we we should almost do like some sort of like diagram or something of people who have been connected to Ozzy and like you know in the bands that they were in. I bet you. I would love to because you get Faith No More in there. Yeah, and all this other great stuff. So yes, we we will make a tree and we'll put it on our page. We'll show you all the cool because then (laughs) because through Ozzy you also get a whole bunch of rainbow people too. Just the way. Oh yeah, you would. The web gets Uh disgusting real fast. (laughs) Yeah, the crossover factor is high. Uh, and as far as I can tell, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, Greg Chason seems to be retired, um, from what I can tell. He uh, he lives in Phoenix, Arizona, with his wife and children, where he coaches and teaches baseball. We were just talking about baseball. Well, and that just like makes that. me like him even and, more. And, uh, and he manages a store called Bazaar Guitar and Drum. And I thought that was kind of cool. He probably doesn't do as many gigs anymore. He's just you know 
lived his rock and roll years out. Sometimes you do have to wonder if, if some of these bands who who went through the major label system, who maybe yeah. had fates much similar to Badlands, they all kind of said, you know what, I really don't want to do that again. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it's hard to blame Vito Brado for not wanting anything to do with the music industry. Right, yeah. I mean, especially in the time mm-hmm. that he was coming up in, you, you know. You know yeah. So, like, I think a lot of these guys, well, like uh, uh, Greg Jafria, the guitar, or the, the, the keyboard player from Jafria and Angel and all that, mm-hmm. and, and I think House of Lords, like, he's part of like a like a gaming like casino type slot machine wow. business out in vegas so he really has no reason to want to play music he's like dude i get stupid rich doing this man yeah. i struggled as a <laughs> i struggled as a musician for years yeah. but i can do this and be comfortable and not have to yeah oh half my <laughs> life to a record company so uh i'm glad you mentioned Vito brada again because like uh he, he he's obviously one of our favorite guys and he's going to keep coming up. But uh, one of the notes that I made about listening to this album is like uh, the songs on this Badlands album is like, they're very much compositions like all the way through. Like uh, it's not just, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and, you know, guitar solo. And there, there actually is a lot going on in them. And it reminded me of like the guitar work that Vito did on uh, White, the White Lion albums. You know, yeah, where it's no, like, that's very fair. Cause I mean, it's, he, He's given a lot of room to sort of do his thing. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't have a whole lot of notes about the album itself. It came out in uh, 1989, sold 400,000 copies, and is number 35 on Rolling Stone's Best Hair Metal Albums list. Um, that's about all I have about about the album itself. It just kind of... Well, yeah, because I mean... There's not a lot of story to they it. They weren't a heavily promoted band. They, yeah. It was just sort of quietly released, did its thing, and went away. And Yeah. Because, I mean, it maybe wasn't quite as uh, a poofy as a lot of what was selling right. or image-based. Uh, Regardless of how teased up their hair may look on the album cover, they really yeah. weren't it's, that band. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of textures on it, but it's a, it's it's relatively raw in, for, for albums of this time period, I think, so... But yeah, I mean that's you know, that's about all I got on it either. Yeah. You know. So how did you come by Badlands? Well, and the thing for me is, uh, tell me your secret Badlands. I had story. <laughs> <laughs> I was bitten by a radioactive Jakey Lee. <laughs> um, no, uh, I, I mean I knew who they were when I was a kid, but just being younger, access to music was tough because you mm-hmm. know. When your age is in single digits, when an album comes out, you might have enough money to maybe get one album that year or something right. like that just because <laughs> your little allowance, that's what you can get. That's fair. But mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, I knew who they were, but I, I didn't know Jakey Lee, who Jakey Lee was at that point mm-hmm. in time. I didn't know that he was in this band or anything like that. And they were just kind of a band I'd heard about and I'd read about in the rock magazines. And many years later, I ended up getting a serious satellite radio account. And there's a, there's a station called Hair Nation. And I mm-hmm. flipped over to it one day Uh just sort of listening idly along to the normal stuff. And then suddenly uh, a high wire came on and the intro, mm-hmm. they start, starts playing. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. This is neat. What is this? And yeah, and uh, the vocals came in. I'm like, okay, I'm in here. I'm, yeah. I'm just in on this. And so yeah. high wire was my hook. And then I wanted to go try to find a copy of it. You know, being a vinyl collector, I am like, oh, this is going to be tough. It's the late eighties. <laughs> so that's rough. So I, I, I downloaded a copy and just played it over and over and over and over. Just, freaking out on this bank. So I was like, I never, I missed this originally. And so that's kind of yeah. my story come to it. it was much, much later. But, uh, um, I think it actually helps hearing it divorced from its time. Yeah. I but think like so a too. lot, of, I mean, you know, a lot of albums, you know, when you can listen to it, like out of the context of the time and just hear it for itself, I mm-hmm. think it, 
it changes the way you perceive it. It certainly did for me because I hear it as the, these guys who didn't feel like being glamorous and being slick and going, I just want to rock out, man. Like, no, it's yeah. pretty muscular. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that's so that's pretty much my story for it. And then of course when when we started talking about rock one time and discovering that we both like Badlands, I'm like, wow, somebody else knows this band. You know? Yeah, I, mean? I I really honestly thought that they were one of the forgotten bands of, of like you know rock history. And well, I don't all necessarily that stuff, think that. So. Still think that's wrong. Yeah. So so we're here to save Badlands. <laughs> Damn right. Everybody should get this record. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, I came to it through the uh, the obvious Ozzy connection. I was into Ozzy, and uh, and I really liked Jakey e. Lee's guitar playing. I was a guitar player. Um, um, I didn't I didn't hear any of the songs on it or anything like that. I went down to uh, a used record store that would get the promo copies with the little sticker on it that says "When you play it, say it." Uh, <laughs> yep, yep. So my my copy of the Badlands album, I got it for a dollar, and uh, and I just oh thought, oh man, I'd like to hear this for a dollar, and, and so I got it on vinyl. Um, you know, took it home thinking, you know, oh, well, this will probably be like another, you know, typical hair metal album and put it on. And I was just like, this is not that. And it blew me away. Um, and then after that, uh, I ended up getting uh, Voodoo Highway the same way. It was a promo copy of it. Because, nice. like, uh, you know, these records mostly ended up like in this area anyway. I think they mostly were like promoted very lightly and people got rid of the promo copies pretty quickly. They, they weren't a band that really went you know, all that far, um, broke up shortly after making the two albums and, and a demo. Yeah. About an album's worth of demos. And then it just yeah. fell apart and it just fell apart. And then even that demo one was with a different vocalist. At the, yep. So, John West. Yeah. So it never really took off. Um, let's talk about like the album itself. Uh, absolutely. Uh, high wire, which you just mentioned, uh, my note on this was like, now this is how you start an album. <laughs> you know what? Oh my <laughs> Okay, I forgot to bring my notebook with me, but mm-hmm. that's almost the ex- almost <laughs> verbatim what I wrote about this song. Now that's how you start an album. <laughs> yeah, it's a super good riff. This huge vocal comes in. There's a great bridge section on it, and and that's going to be a theme in some of my notes. Is like uh, as Badland, I think writes great bridges, um, and then of course there's a killer solo. Um, and you know, let's just dive in with the guitar solos a Absolutely. little bit. Uh, let's let's take a listen to this, please. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then next is uh, "Dreams in the Dark." I I uh, I didn't honestly didn't know this until we were digging into it, but apparently that was released as the lead single from this album. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's, it's, it's a the great only tune. single from this album. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, this is another one. It's a great tune. Uh, has has a cool bridge to it. Also, it was one of the hits. They had a video for it on MTV. Oh, nice. See, I've never seen a Badlands video still to this yeah. point. Yeah, I don't. I didn't actually didn't go back and look up any of their videos. So I, I didn't watch it. I, I if I saw it, it was long, long ago. So I don't know if I've ever. Now there is a chance it. tonight that I'm going to go like see what all ones I can find yeah, because of what the binge. hell? I mean, that's what YouTube's <laughs> for, right? Yeah, yeah. Really good song though. I like that. Uh, then after that, we go into Jade's song, which is uh, really interesting because it's really pretty, 
but it's somehow not cheesy the way that a lot of hair metal battle ballads are. I think that's just because, you know, Jakey Lee coming from kind of a slightly different angle, having spent his time with Ozzy, maybe just kind of shaded it. I don't know, because it is notably different than a lot of the other. um, You get a lot of guitar pieces, you know, like in this time where the. Yeah. Yeah. And and I know we just listened to a solo, but I kind of want to let's listen to a little bit of this one. We probably should. It's so different. And it's uh, and just to mix it up from the other guitar solo stuff that we usually. Well chosen. Shows off Jakey Lee in a different light, too, I think. He didn't really do much of that stuff, even with Ozzy. No, not at all. Uh, Next, we have Winter's Call. This was also one of the hits, and they had an MTV video for it. And, yeah, I, um, once again, left my notes at home. Uh, This one, I think, really shows off uh, Ray Gillen's versatility as a vocalist. And I'm even going to throw down and say that I think this is one of the best hair metal songs of the entire genre. I like that. I like I that. I think that uh, the harmonies on it that Ray Gillen does is, are so fucking great. And the song just builds and builds. It like just starts out so quiet and acoustic guitars and stuff. Um, leads up into a great chorus, which leads into another great big bridge and guitar solo. It just it just That's builds and right. builds. I mentioned that I was like, well, this sure went. This sure like just is a mile yeah. away from where it started off at. All right, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, it's an epic. I think uh, it's a it's a really good example of the genre where it's not it's not cheesy or anything. It's just a good song, and you know. Um, great performances on it. Uh, after that, we have, we have Dancing on the Edge. Which closes outside one. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic riff. It's just a high-energy tune. And it has like one of those super fast uh, Jakey Lee solos. Just, um, you know, that just yeah, they're, they're, they do a good job of keeping the energy up on this album, too. So, like, you know, you, you've got, run through all this stuff. They've shown off a lot what they're capable of. Very versatile. Oh, yeah, that gas pedal doesn't come up very much on this yeah. album. <laughs> and uh, and then next up, we have uh, Streets Cry Freedom. And uh, this is kind of neat because this is another one where they mix things up a little bit. Where there's like more like atmospheric kind of guitar. I did bit. mention one of the things that I I had had thought while I was hearing it. Well, first off, it's just the the name of the song is just it just makes me laugh because like there's that is a very very popular sentiment in the eighties. Yeah. Or at least that sort of um something about the streets. Yeah. Wild in the streets. Uh, you know, you yeah. gotta cry tough out in the streets. Blah blah blah. It, yeah. it was a it was a big thing. And I I mentioned it's just these guys just happen to do it better than a lot of them. <laughs> right. They did. <laughs> Yeah, and this song has like a, a really trippy bridge. I mean, it goes from atmospheric guitar, um, it gets a little bit heavier, and then it does like a trippy bridge with like some cool slide guitar, um, and, and which uh, Jakey Lee's exploring some more kind of atonal territory, which is you don't, in the '80s you don't get quite as much of that. You don't get very much of that, so it's it's good for them for kind of you know trying something a little bit different. They were trying to stand out a little bit. Um, then we have Hard Driver. 
Which oh, I, I like that one a lot. I like that one too. I thought it was very appropriately named because it just chugs along. And I like its placement, you know, because you're getting kind of down there in the running order, yeah. you know, and you've been through some twists and turns, and it's like, yeah, that's right. We still can just like turn it the turn it the fuck on and just get crazy, you know. So I, I really like how it's placed. <laughs> yeah, me too. I thought at first I thought maybe they were losing a little bit of energy. I thought it started out, oh, this is kind of your standard rock song, but then it just kind of goes nuts. Yep, <laughs> and, there, and there's just and you know and in context by the end of it, I was like, man, that's just awesome riffs from start to finish, and it's a it's a very throbbing kind of a song, and there's a bridge that's almost kind of like proggy a little bit, and at the end of it, it climbs up this uh, kind of it's like climbing a ladder, it's like modulation kind of stuff where they just go climb and climb and climb, and and has more cool atmospheric trippy shit in it's it. It's one of those so. things that reminds you that <clears throat> yeah, Eric Singer may drum for Kiss now, but he's also done some stuff where he really gets to like. You know, yeah. rip it up a little bit more than the sort of <clears throat> yeah. more martial approach you get for the Kiss albums. <clears throat> <laughs> and then we have Rumblin' Train. And uh, Rumblin' Train is very bluesy. People in the 80s like to do this a lot, too. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, there's this weird crossover thing that happens between uh, um, hair metal and they all kind of secretly want to be a blues band, it seems like, or something. And... We'll, we'll see. This is pro- probably sort of a foreshadowing on what's, what they're going to do on Voodoo Highway. The, their next album has a strong blues influence on it, too. Um, and Jakey e. Lee is a great blues player. so that, Yeah, it turns out he is. Yeah, the guitar solo on this song is very good. Um, I mean, and, and it's very competent. This one's probably, if I had to rank it, probably like my least favorite song on the album. But it's still good. <clears throat> Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, yeah, it's still a good record. It's just, you know, yeah. they can't all be freaking winner's call right. or dreams in the dark or whatever, you know. Right, yeah. I think the comment I wrote on this was much blues. <laughs> yeah, much blues, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. And then we go from that to Devil's Stomp, which has a a really cool acoustic intro and then it has this huge riff and then it just kind of like starts to grow with the band. Um, this is probably the most Zeppelin-y song, I, I think, on the on the record, I'd say. Um, uh, Ray Gillen's voice, on, especially on the verses, that it, it pretty much is a Robert Plant kind of a verse. And I think, I wonder how much of it, I mean, has to do with, uh, with as you said, Paul O'Neill's uh, sense of arrangement. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, you've heard Sabotage, you've heard TSO. I mean, the guy knows yeah. how to, like, Put yeah. all the sort of pieces in place in their little intricate spots, whether it's just straight driving hard rock or something more ambitious, yeah. you know. I mean, and yeah. I see, you know, and Paul O'Neill helped write all this stuff too. I mean, yeah, he so. helped him write it. He was the producer on the album, producer, um, co writer. He managed yeah. the band, yeah, pretty he, much the same way he did Sabotage and TSO. <laughs> yeah, he, he went on to do the Trans Siberian Orchestra, and uh, which, you know, if you haven't heard of that, that's you know, Christmas, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> super huge Christmas, epic Christmas stuff. <laughs> and uh, along those lines, uh, Paul O'Neill did. Uh, he actually died two years ago, or well, it's gonna be almost uh-huh. three years ago now, and it re- seemed really just out of nowhere. But uh, yeah, basically, the long and short of that is that John Oliva has a lot of unfortunate things happen around him and his bands because his brother, he John Oliva was the he he's involved in TSO okay. much the same way that Paul O'Neill was, but he was also the singer for uh, Sabotage. And okay. His brother Chris O'Neill. Right as they were kind of starting to take off, or uh, Chris Oliva, Chris Oliva died in a car wreck right oh, as they were man. getting big. And then he gets TSO, it gets up and rumbling, and it's a study of rumbling train, and Paul O'Neill dies. Now, granted, there's a long time between these two, but it's like, he's like, come on, seriously, can we keep something going here? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to have an orchestra. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> uh, after Devil's Stump, we've got Seasons. 
And this is a song that came out years before the Chris Cornell tune of the same name. <laughs> I know. I remember when I first got that, I was looking at that, I was like, wait a second, no. <laughs> yeah, but it, weirdly enough, has kind of the same vibe, I think. It's like kind of like that drone and that haunting feel to it, the way Chris Cornell's song has. Um, and a lot of the bands in this time like to have the, the closer song not be like a big rocker. It was yeah. like, you know, your contemplative song would close the album. <laughs> right. It's like, now let, let us reflect. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the, it does build up, though, and I think the bridge on this tune is probably the heaviest moment on the album. It's like the most metal moment, I think, uh, on yeah, the album. Yeah, yeah. It kind of builds up. So you get, to, you get to have your cake and eat it, too. It's a little bit of, let's contemplate and reflect, and then, like, but that, let's also, like, just be super heavy so that we don't forget where we came from and, and stuff. It does um, a good job of showing the uh, showing all the facets of, like, everybody's, all the all, all the songwriters, it sort of gives you their little facets of their songwriting in, in, in one tune. It's kind of cool like that, you know? Yeah. And then the last one is Ball and Chain, which was technically a bonus track. Yeah, I have it on LP, so I do not know that song. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's a rocking song, but it's sort of pedestrian uh, until the guitar solo. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the guitar solo is just like wow, you know, it's a wow moment. Um, that and- brings up a sub point. How many times in in subsequent episodes that we may do where we might talk about a record and go, well, the song's kind of pedestrian, but this solo, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of like that. That could be like the uh, the byline on the the history of hair metal. <laughs> <laughs> It should be our catchphrase. Yeah. Well, the but, songwriting's kind of pedestrian, but that's, that's solo. That's solo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the song, it is a great blend of acoustic and electric guitars, which I don't know how much of that was going on at the time. I think uh, I think this is a better-than-average uh, version of that. I also kind of thought, you know, the, the album doesn't benefit from having this bonus track on it. Uh, they really could have easily left it, it, it off. It was a complete piece. Yeah. I mean, especially because, like, Seasons yeah. feels like... Yeah. All right, this album is done now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool, but that's uh, all I've got for my notes. Uh, yep, and, and as we kind of will cover, this band doesn't end up lasting a whole lot longer because, no. once again, when it's... I mean, you know, it's just a band of, like, guys who... They weren't necessarily, like, mm-hmm. pals or anything like that before. They kind of mm-hmm. got together and made a record. I mean, if, if you want a good read, go to the Wikipedia article and read about the... Uh, I think it's the Voodoo Highway Tour. Mm-hmm. They... Ray and Jake really came to not like one another near the yeah. end there, and it was pretty acrimonious, which explains why yeah. Dusk had uh, John West on it. Yeah, which is too bad because they really are one of my favorite bands of this entire genre. I mean, and this is you know one of my favorite albums of the genre. No, so. Yeah, and on the other hand, you could argue that's kind of what makes them special is they didn't yeah, have the time true. to – uh, last a lot longer yeah. and start going, you know, putting out the blood. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no girls, girls, girls in the Badlands catalog, you know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. There's not. <laughs> so at least that's how I, no offense, I am yeah. a Motley Crue fan. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm totally fine with them. But but at the same time, you know, yeah. they had some less cool stuff. But, I mean, these dudes didn't really have that time. They made two albums. I haven't actually heard Voodoo Highway yet. Uh, I will have more comments on that later. It's just going to be some sub point I'm going to bring up in some other episode. Yeah. And you're not going to see it coming. <laughs> I'm just going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I listen to Voodoo Highway. Maybe we get further down the road, we'll do Voodoo Highway as a follow-up. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah. This band of any of the bands that we have mm-hmm. proposed talking about is it would be one of the few that would definitely deserve more than one episode yeah. because just so it, they're just so good. And the, the, the yeah. story around them is just is cool. And 
Yeah. Maybe that'll be a shorter episode because we've already given you a, a little bit more about right all the the stuff around <laughs> Badlands, and so that one might just be more album focused. And maybe we don't even do a guest on that episode. Maybe we just do do a lean and mean one for you or something like that. I don't know. This is all way in the future. We don't need to worry about it yet. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, let's take a break and let's pay some bills. We'll be right back. If you're in the Ames or Central Iowa area and you need to get your piano tuned, the man to call is Tom Russell of Tom Russell Piano Services. Um, he, he's uh, He's been a very generous sponsor for this episode. We thank him greatly for that. But he really is the man on all that stuff. He tunes like all the pianos at Iowa State and the concert halls. He tuned Bob Dylan's piano when he came through. And he can tune the piano in your home. He once tuned Axl Rose's piano. He's a real nice guy and he calls me two sheds. It's Tom Russell. And we're back. Our special guest today is Scotty B. Good, who is a guitar player currently playing with Lizzie Poppyseed in the in her Des Moines band and uh, was a former member of One Night Stand, which was a, which was a really big Des Moines band too. So are you have any other current projects that... You want to talk about Scott? Yeah, the, uh, I do have another project currently. Um, uh, my son and I are doing an electronica project okay. called uh, DNA. DNA, so, okay, awesome. Uh, and it stands for uh, digital in uh, analog, not DNA, the stuff that we share. But, you know, yeah, <laughs> whatever irony works for you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and I met Scott through the Lizzie Poppy Seed Band, and uh, and then we've since uh, bonded over being guitar players, and we we went to the Generation Axe show together, which featured a lot of uh, um, hair metal shredders that are relevant to this. Oh, podcast. you've told me so much about that. That sounded yeah. like it was fun. Yeah, we saw Nuno Betancourt, which was like a really big. That you know, was that's that, a thrill yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah, and we saw Zach Wild and uh, Tosin Abasi, who yeah. is, is coming back. That was a cool uh, choice for that yeah. tour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and who, I'm missing somebody. Who else was on that Generation X? Uh, uh, Steve Vai. Yeah, Duh. yeah. Vai was was, was, oh, yeah, was, that other was guy. the head, headliner and uh, yeah. and gracious host to everyone. Yeah. So yeah. And uh, in a bit of a twist, uh, this is going to be our first special guest who actually really likes the album that we're talking about. <laughs> so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, our other guests have been like, they've been game and everything like that. And it's led to they've some good conversations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but Scott, actually, uh, we, we at the Generation X show, we were talking about Jakey e. Lee and talking about Badlands a little bit. I was, I think we were both shocked that we each other was aware of the band. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so this is kind of a treat. Uh, uh, tell us about your experience with Badlands, you know. Well, so uh, you know, during during kind of that time when when that album came out, I was yeah, I was obviously I was playing at the time. I was I was playing in in uh, some metal bands at the time, and so uh, uh, and uh, of course when when Randy Rhodes died, we we all kind of mourned the the passing of of him because uh, because of the competition kind of between him and Eddie Van Halen, and so there was there was always a buzz on you know who's Ozzy going to get next, who's he going to get to yeah. replace Randy Rhodes, so, you know, and uh, and I remember so many names were passed out, and and you know when he brought in Jakey e. Lee to do Speak at the Devil, that was uh, that was kind of disappointing because we knew him from you know Sister Christian. 
Bastion and Night Ranger and, yeah. and you know, all that stuff. So, uh, Pop tunes. Uh, <laughs> right, right. And, and so, uh, uh, so when, when Jakey Lee came around, of course, you know, we had to, uh, you know, we had to figure out kind of who Jake was and, you know, we found out that he was in that whole LA scene, mm-hmm. you know, he had played, uh, previously he had played with rat and he, had uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. He was, he was one of the original kind of pre-recording mm-hmm. members. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I was a big, you know, kind of Warren D martini fan and, and cause he's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And so, uh, and, and so, you know, and, and then he came through rough cut and then, you know, you know, some of those things. And, uh, actually the bass player that, that recommended Rhodes actually recommended Jakey Lee to, for Ozzy to take a look at. And, uh, of was course, that Dana Strum? Yeah. 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 I thought so, it was. Cause I wanted to say Rudy Sarzo, but I was like, no, he just played with him. Right. Dana Strum was that guy who, for future reference, Dana Strum's <laughs> name is probably going to come up a lot on this podcast. Absolutely. He knows everybody and has worked with literally everybody ever. Yes, that's true. That's true. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I would I would agree completely. And so, uh, uh, and so when you know Bark of the Moon came out, uh, the video came out, and there was a lot of a lot of it around there because you know Ozzy was going theatrical. Finally, he wasn't just getting up there and rocking back and forth, and you know, the, you know, like he had. Uh, whatever going on with him so uh, and uh you know and and you know and seeing him play you know jake played the charvels and you know and he played the the you know the marshall jcms and all that kind of stuff so he he kind of fit kind of right in with what was going on at the time so uh uh, so when uh when that whole thing went down and he left ozzy you know he had gotten everybody's attention and so Mm -hmm. when badlands came out it was just like oh that's what this guy's doing and so we got to check it out and and there were and there were a lot of guys uh what uh the bass player on the on the album uh greg uh greg chison chase yeah Jason, Chison. Yeah. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but pronounce. I, yeah, I, I, I was, yeah. yeah, I was digging into him for this, and dude's got a history. I, well, I have his solo album too. So I and and so full disclosure. Uh, uh, so back around this time, 86, 87, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm playing in a metal band called Piracy. In, oh, cool. <laughs> uh, in, uh, in Kansas city. And, uh, and, uh, we were kind of the, the next hopefully hot thing that was going to come up and things like that. And, and believe it or not, and, and please don't fall out of your chairs, but I started playing Christian rock about that time. <laughs> I got, uh, I, I remember a friend of mine came over to my house. I was married at the time and things like that. And he had yellow and black attack in his hand from Striper. <laughs> and he goes, you gotta check this out. <laughs> what you know and and uh and at the time i was a church going kind of person that kind of thing and uh so so the big rumor was because uh you know because you know like landa cordola and and you know uh uh, some of the other uh, cats around there who had been in kind of the la scene kind of transitioned into that of course striper was in the la scene back in the early 80s they did shows with motley crew and stuff like that and so uh and and so you know we were always looking for oh is is this the guy and so so there were in my circle at least there were rumors going about that badlands was kind of this 
Christian rock band, this Christian hard rock oh, wow. band kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, that uh, you know, because Jake had been associated with all these guys, and Greg was was actually the bass player was actually did kind of some Christian stuff and things like that. And so, so mm-hmm. that was the other reason I think that maybe it got some push from from folks, uh, you know, because you know they weren't. You know, they weren't poison and they weren't, you know, some yeah. of that other horrible stuff that was coming out around that time. Uh, but um, uh, so uh, I, I think that that's why, you know, we continue to kind of check him out and okay. and listen to him and things like that. So, so Striper kind of saved your life. So, (laughs) you know, I don't know, man. I, you know, I, you know, maybe I would have become, uh, uh, in fact, I'm still friends. uh, I'm still friends with the guy that I was in an early band with. And, and, and he and I have, have talked about because we obviously have kind of uh, gone away from that totally and completely and we and 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 we talk about you know that you know man if we just would how big would we have been how big you know yeah yeah, we kind of dream but uh uh, so uh so no that was a that was kind of a you know uh uh, time in the desert not to use a ironic phrase but uh uh anyway uh uh, that that's a whole nother podcast we can yeah. talk about kind of <laughs> yeah. the, the uh the uh my my uh, my uh nephew has said that that i should uh, i should write a book you know from uh conservative christian to liberal atheist or agnostic so, yeah yeah so uh and and <laughs> what kind of road that that takes you down so you need a whole chapter on striper yeah <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and quite honestly, Striper was okay. Uh, I, I never really liked Michael Sweet's voice. I, I liked, you know, Oz Fox's guitar and stuff like that. Yeah. But but there was some other stuff that was coming out of there um, that that was just that, you know, Baron Cross and, and, and White Cross and whatever other cross, Holy Soldier, that kind of thing that uh, – um, Man, they had some. They had some guys that were just killer. That uh-huh. that you know, even vocally, were were just a lot better. I you know, I just you know, um, you know, Michael Sweet to me was a little too operatic in his vocals and things like that. Yeah. I, I liked it uh, a little dirtier than that and things like that. But uh, but you know, you know, back in those days. And the scene I was in, I mean, it was it was like you know we were we were kind of church going people, and then we found but but back then it was that you couldn't uh, you know you couldn't listen to rock and roll and you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that right. and so and so it was kind of a permission giving you know to us who were kind of in that community that you know uh, wow you can you can still play very loud guitars and yeah. all that kind of stuff and it's you know and you're not going to be damned by some people, right. most of them, right. but uh, but 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 some people might think it's okay. So so that's so yeah. I think that that's what kind of caught our our attention is actually the bass player, uh, okay. uh, more than anything because wow. of his, okay. some of his associations. So so, so when it, when the Badlands album came out, you you went and picked it up. And, absolutely, and, absolutely. What format did you get it in? <laughs> so uh, well uh, well. Back in those days, right. Brian, uh, they had walls of cassette tapes. There was uh, cassette tapes, eight-track tapes, and uh, no, no, I had it. I had it on vinyl. Nice. Uh, okay. I, I had it on vinyl, and uh, uh, and and I will I will tell you that the the main thing I I just never got into it about is I I I didn't like Ray Gillian's voice, man. I didn't. Oh wow. You know yeah. uh, because because 
it he sounded like a poor man's David Coverdale, you know, mm-hmm. who was a poor man's Robert Plant, right? Yeah, you know, and so it so that at, in re-listening to that album to kind of get ready for this, I was you know I was just I really thought that that uh, wow this guy is is really trying to do you know kind of kind of David Coverdale and mm-hmm. and and that kind of thing and you know and obviously you know as we were. Uh, discussing his previous work with with uh, John Sykes and 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 actually the, the the guy that helped write most of the songs on the album was the guy that went on to to put together TSO uh, uh, yeah Trans, yeah uh, Trans Siberian yeah. he was he uh, uh, Paul O'Neill was both their manager and the guy who yeah, produced the first absolutely. record yeah. Um, and you and you hear a lot of that influence you hear I mean oh yeah you know, I mean you hear a, a lot of that. Paul's kinda, got a sound. Yeah. I mean, it's a good sound. So, I mean, by all means, you know. Absolutely. But you can hear it through, like, even even through from Badlands to Sabotage to TSO. There's there's a Paul O'Neill, like, yeah, there's Absolutely. a push there. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, I you know, I think at that time I'd kind of tired of, you know, kind of, because because the other band that was huge at that time uh, was Kingdom Come. Oh, and, I forgot and, about and Kingdom, Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come was the... They were just a more blatant version. Yeah, they were the, they were the one, Greta yeah. Van Fleet of... <laughs> yes, they of were. Day, you know, I, I, mean, I just heard one of their songs the other day, and I was like, and everybody, everybody like, chat on Kingdom Come, but they love Greta Van Fleet, and I'm like, this is just the 2010s version exactly. of that, and I mean, you know... I'm so. with you. I'm I'm with you, and and I just thought, but you know, so many of those, so many of those vocalists. I mean, you know, it, at least David Coverdale came by it honestly. I mean, being in Deep Purple and and kind of being part of that '70s rock scene, he, you know, to me, it, you know, uh, I. Yeah, he earned it. You know, I mean, yeah. he 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 probably, you know, he was definitely thinking of Robert Plant when he was when yeah. he was doing his thing. But but I also think too that you have to remember that that 1985 White Snake album was huge. It yeah. was and and uh, and I absolutely fell in love with that band. Um, and uh, and as you and I have talked, Brian, huge uh, Vivian mm-hmm. Campbell fan. And, yeah. And when I found out he was in that band really you know uh really kind of got into them and i and i really thought in listening to this bad Latins album now i really thought you know that's what they were trying to do i think that they they were trying to they were trying to write a another kind of white snake album kind of thing but the okay. the hooks just weren't there man they just yeah. you know i mean you know quite honestly the songwriting on this is yeah. I, I don't know doesn't hold up Okay. You know, yeah. So uh, now there is uh, there is Jake's little acoustic guitar piece, you know, because uh-huh. you know back then, you know, after eruption with Eddie Van Halen, you had to prove that you could play acoustic guitar too, and so right, you know, so he, you know, he he plays that little instrumental piece, which is which is really cool and things like that. But but uh, you know, I think I think for the most part, the the songs just the, what what got me is is that that the songs don't have the big. Uh, harmony vocals mm-hmm. that a lot of that stuff had at that See, time. See, honestly, that's one of my favorite things about it. <laughs> well, 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 but I'm saying... I, I like the leanness yeah. of it compared to, like, say, the production that you get on the White Snake record, which is a very... Right. Super it's low. not that it isn't good production or whatever. It's just very, very big. And this one was a little bit leaner as right. far as that went. Like, mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's a little bit closer. It's still, I mean, you know, you're still playing with yeah. Atlantic Records money, right. but it, it it seemed like it was a, a just a little bit tougher. I don't know, sonically. Sure, but I mean, it did. It doesn't have. It doesn't have like John Sykes like hooks on it. Yeah. I, that's. But <laughs> but but to me to me I could tell that that uh, that that Jake was 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 trying to channel his his inner uh, uh, his inner Jimmy Page. You know, and and you know, and, and so to me, it was it was very Zeppelin esque, you know, uh, in in mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But it it just didn't have it 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 just didn't have that that song that just kind of you know that you you know blasted Friday night on your you mm-hmm. know your your Z twenty eight or whatever else you, <laughs> know, you had going. See, I think that's uh, one of the differences because which yeah. uh, we covered. Yeah. Um, I didn't listen to this album until I was, I don't know, 35 years old, 34 years old, oh, just a few it. years ago. Got it. Uh, I think I was nine years old when it came out. Oh, so, there you go. There you go. It's, okay, so Sonny. it's just really All easy right. to miss these sort of things. And the thing is, when I got satellite radio, I had the habit of just going to any station to listen because right. they would just play whatever. Absolutely. And so regardless of how much I was into a genre, I would just sit there and be like, I just wonder what's coming up next. And I heard the song Highwire and I was like, whoa, what the hell's that? Right, right. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, well, that that hooked me. I bought a digital copy of the album, and then I plunked the money down to actually get an LP of it. And there you go. Well, it it just you know in in context for me and in, in listening to it and kind of the you know what the times were you know it you know it, it oh it totally really, understandable it, it, it just really didn't didn't sound as polished quite honestly than mm-hmm. than a lot of the other stuff that was coming out and especially it was you know a because slick time yeah well <laughs> because those those you know eighty two to eighty four uh, L A strip you know kind of bands that that had all made it by then you know uh rat had made it and motley crew had made it and and all that kind of stuff they they had really kind of taken their sound to the next level and and this just really sounded like kind of a step back mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. of uh, to to more of a 70s kind of sound than yeah. what was happening contemporary now i did yeah. like yeah as far as as far as the the production thing i did like what the so i'm pretty sure if i remember right like as far as like the rat albums a lot of that's were, was recorded by bo hill and people like that uh-huh. sure and uh i kind of dug his stuff um actually it's funny because one of my least favorite producers had his hands all uh, on uh tom Worman. right don't right. like his production <laughs> sure. the only time he made an album with that sounded like the what that I liked was uh, Shout at the Devil. Um, right. Because he also, because he did, then he did the next two Motley Crue records and all the corners are sanded off. Because like, if you listen to Too Fast for Love and Shout at the Devil, those guitars yes. are real dirty. And Absolutely. They're just, they're grimy. Yeah. Um, and they're just, all the edge has been sanded off those guitars by the time you get to Theater of Pain. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and, and well, there was other problems with that record that aren't really the point here. Um, but then Tom Worman also did like a Poisons Open Up and Say Ah. Yes. Which when you listen to it compared to, to Look What the Cat Dragged In, because Look What the Cat Dragged In is a real tough sounding record that's barely produced. Right. And then when you get to Tom Worman, he... Whoosh, and Absolutely. then uh, uh, In Color and Black and White by Cheap Trick. I... I it just bristles me to listen to the production on that record. I can't handle it, which was too bad because those are just brilliant songs. Well, and, and, and so, and so, you know, uh, meantime, uh, in Seattle, Kurt Cobain was, was figuring out how to, you know, destroy all that because the, 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 you know, they call it the glam era now. And, and I don't know if we really, 
you know, at the time kind of looked at it that way. But, it, but you know, I, I, I do have, there's a picture floating around someplace of me in makeup in about 1988 or something. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that was so, the time, So, man. you know, yeah, I mean, rock, it, it just, you know, to me, it, you know, that's, that's where it had to go. I mean, it, it you know, because, because you also, so, so what happened to me personally at that time is that is that we started to get a lot harder and a lot faster and detune and and that kind of stuff and really got really kind of dark and there was there was really two paths that kind of you went you went to you you went that way you went not you know and and I think you know Metallica you know you can't you can't say that they didn't have anything to do with it. I think they mm-hmm. did, but oh, there they were, were a major player in it. But there, yeah. but 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 there were so many other better bands that were to me that were so much darker and and faster and heavier and and yeah. and, and and really wanted to kind of rip your head off and eat your children kind of thing. And then and then <laughs> I'm wearing a Merciful Fate T-shirt right now. Go, I'm just man. saying, <laughs> dig it. And so, but but then the other side of that is that you know everything got really pretty. I mean, you, yeah. you, you know the the guys got prettier the sounds got prettier it got more glitzy yeah. and and things like that and more mm-hmm. love and, songs and pop songs and right stuff. right mm-hmm. and so i i think that this album's a little out of place in that because it it reminded you of something that should have came out in probably 78 or 79 okay. not in the part of it for me yeah. is yeah i have like a i i have a a deep love of the the, the raucous uh 70s rockers like cactus oh, absolutely and, yeah. uh and, and stuff like that and no, so, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I'm the, with you. Uh, letting the old, you know, uh, I can see why it's it's out of place. And the funny thing was the record was deemed a failure and it sold almost half a million copies. Yeah, which is, right. you know, right. in like right. the world of normal people and normal numbers, that's a lot of copies. Right. But in the world of major label right. money, well, you failed. Yes. Come on already. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's probably to their detriment that they didn't try more to, like, fit in the mold of what was going on at the time. But... Yeah. Well, like you, you say, you have it, you have a choice there. You can go along with it. You can do this. I mean, I'm. Well, well, when you look at like like the ultimate sin and and stuff that Jake had done with Ozzy, I mean, those they, were getting they, real polished. Uh, yeah, they mm-hmm. and they, they and were. and he really kind of he really kind of bought into that. And and I think the thing is, you know, uh, you know, although. Uh, I, I love Jake's playing on this. I think he I think he plays really really well. I just don't think as a as a songwriter that that compositionally it's because it, well yeah and it, it, one of the things with that band is it's like I mean it's a band of like of 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 hired guns put together to make a band. Gotcha. You're right. You know I mean right. Eric Singer. Eric I mean Singer. He mm-hmm. right. He would bounce from band to band, and I'm with you. Well, for and a he was years. with Ozzy. I mean he because uh, he, yeah. he, he jumped he ship from Badlands. Band. He jumped ship from Badlands and went to the Cult for like a tour, just long enough to like then do then because then he joined Kiss right after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, because because mm-hmm. Matt Sorum l- replaced him in the cult, like right. in a touring capacity. I right. don't think e- either neither of them recorded for the cult at the time. Right. And then yeah, and then Greg he kind of went from project to project. And, yep. Um. Well, honestly, after Badlands, Jakey e. Lee's the only one who didn't go from project to project and just vanished for twenty right, years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Ray simply didn't have the opportunity to bounce from many more bands after that, just because. Well, he died in what ninety. Yeah, he died shortly after 93, that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, they I, broke I up was... in 93. I was reading up on it, and, and like there was some weird stuff going on with the label and Badlands yeah. and Paul O'Neill. Mm-hmm. And, well, they didn't end up being the best of friends near the end of it anyways. No, but, they didn't. No. No. Yeah, there was there was like some weird stuff. Because, I mean, Ray 
uh, uh, Jake was talking about how when they went to go uh, do the second record, he's like, yeah, Ray didn't look good. He looked real thin and just not healthy. And and nobody wanted to tell the label what was going on, which, I mean, you know, I'm not blaming anybody for anything at the time. We're way past the point of putting judgments on anything. But um, they said something like, well, if you fire Ray, I'm going to tell them that they... Yeah, no, I I read that same thing. Oh, and it just became such like a... What a messy situation, you know? Because, I mean, he had time... Odd sub point. Ray Gillen got to play in a band with a, a dude from Alice in Chains, uh, the bass player, Mike Starr. Oh, mm-hmm. really? They had a wow. band called Sun Red Sun that made exactly okay. one record and had, I think, Which maybe is, started to work on another well, one. Well, and, and Sun Red Sun, isn't that a uh, track off of, uh, yeah, there's off a, of the second Badlands album? Yeah, I think. there's a song on, on the second, on Voodoo Highway that's yeah. called Sun Red Sun. Or is that one of the songs on Dusk? Now I can't remember. Because they did that, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they did all those those demos that came out as dusk in, in the late like in the late nineties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I th- I kind of think Sudden Sud. I could look over here and look, but it's just so much more fun to guess. I mean, <laughs> and, and just yeah, we're like trying we to entertain. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, of course it was. Well, yeah. <laughs> who who? Everybody knows that. Unless, of course, you know this particular episode we record is only listened to by Badlands fans, and they're screaming at right. us and going, "What the hell's the matter with you?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. If that's Next you and Lizzie Poppy Seed show, yeah. somebody attacks me because I yeah. said something about Jakey Lee. What were you saying that shit about Ray, man? <laughs> you don't know Ray. You don't know his life. Yeah. Dude was in Black Sabbath, man. <laughs> If there is a hardcore Badlands fan out there listening to this, please contact us. Yes. <laughs> oh, please. We yes. would love to talk to you. There's not oh very my many God. of us left, I think. So <laughs> I've still never heard Voodoo Highway because I've not oh. been able to track down an LP copy of it. And uh. now I'm realizing that even if I did, I'd have to spend a lot. So I probably should just bite the bullet and listen to it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that really Badlands LP was not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like right. the spendiest thing I've ever bought by a mile. But, I mean, uh. it's a $40 record, man. Come on. That's no kind kidding. of a lot of scratch. No kidding. <laughs> well, and, and, and I think that, you know, personally what I think Jake should have done is is that when Badlands fell apart, he should have contacted, you know, kind of Shrapnel Records or, you know, something like that and kind of went and kind of rode that wave, that whole you know, right. instrumental, you know, guitar kind of stuff and things like that. Right. Um, he put out one instrumental album. Yeah, of course, he did. you yeah, know, yeah, admittedly, the shrapnel thing, by the time you get to the 1990s, there's not a lot of shrapnel left. You're no, getting uh, just yeah. the end. Of course, yeah. they would have had no way of knowing that or anything like and that. And right. shrapnel but, started doing like p- power blues albums and things like yeah. that. That's, uh, yeah, that's true. You know. And Which honestly, Jake Lee would have fit in. Actually, yes, he would have. Yeah. I struggled with a lot of shrapnel a lot of the time. Yeah, uh, I, there's a like I really like the uh, Cacophony album. I think that oh, is yeah. that's uh, yeah, yeah. that's with, with, Friedman uh, and Becker, right? Becker, yeah, because yeah. yeah. I really oh, like gosh. Marty Friedman a lot. He's one of my favorite guitar players. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah holds holds it holds a pick really weird for a guy who plays metal. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> when you if you like ever go see a video of Marty Friedman playing, he, you shouldn't be able to be that awesome and hold your pick like that. No kidding. But <laughs> we should do an episode on Shrapnel Records because that's like that's basically like a whole record label devoted to yes. guitar players. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. Who all went on to play uh, with other people. Oh, and, yeah, and they're yeah. a lot of fun. Yes. It's just a mixed bag because you get a lot of like really yeah. awesome shredding, but sometimes like that's all you it ever is. wonder <laughs> if that drummer's like really <laughs> bored back there? Right. No, He's sitting there going, no, one, two, three, four. 
Yeah, you get to have your fun soloing, but I'm just going to sit back here and play 4-4 for 40 freaking minutes of this record. I mean, they were all good drummers. I mean, it's, you know, studio guys and everything, but still, boy. They didn't have much to do. No, not a lot of them. And that's a bummer, too, because, yeah. Because, like, when you look at the people who play on these shrapnel bands, I mean, it's, like, just full of just amazing musicians. Right, right, right. No, Mr. Bass Player, you're just holding those, you're just holding the the never made. Yeah, yeah, they never made any money. They never made, you know, they yeah. just uh, talk about people that played project to project. That's yeah. that's kind of what it, you know, <laughs> you know, one of the things when we, we talked about uh, doing this uh, that, that Brian and I were talking about uh, that, that I'd like to delve into is, uh, is, is Badlands hair metal. Mm-hmm. And see, you know, I'm glad you asked that because I honestly say that, no, it isn't. I would I, agree. It It's. Like we've spent a lot of time establishing, it's much more like '70s rock that just happened to come out in 1988. Right. And that's been a, right. that's been a theme like of this whole podcast is like you know some of the records we're picking. It's like is this hair metal or not? And it's like you know it's, there was just like such a movement to you know the commercialization of hair metal as a genre was like everybody wanted to ride the coattails. Well, and part of, that of it, and, I think, part of the problem is that when when a specific sound is big and something yeah. comes along that's kind of like adjacent to the sound, yes, yes. that the the you know yeah. when you're talking about like big labels they're going to try to see how they can sell it as that because like i remember as a kid when when collective soul came out they tried yeah. to market it as like a grunge band and right i was like okay yeah. <laughs> right there's yeah. nothing grungy or whatever alternative about this it's just right. kind of a rock band who plays yeah. kind of mellowy rockish Even stuff Jam is not all that and, grungy right <laughs> Um, well, that's a whole other argument. When you start trying yeah. to nail down what grunge is, the least the, yeah. the less you're going to find, you're going to be able to actually pin it down. Well, or whatever, I think, but but but, but I, I personally and that holds think, true to this one. Too, I think right? I, I think hair metal's uh, the the same way because I think there's a lot of stuff, you know, in that you know 82 to 89 kind of area mm-hmm. that absolutely that gets, that, that gets labeled hair hair metal. That is not hair metal, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, you know, even though you know White Snake was huge, I I don't believe White Snake was was hair metal. Well, mm-hmm. no, I mean by the time you get to 1980s to the to, to the big record, they're more like, you know, I mean, they started out as as just like if Deep Purple had just kept going. Yes, and mm-hmm. shedding members and replacing members. You, it's, it's a which very is, straight line, which is which is kind of what well, what ended up happening to yeah. them, anyways. But yeah, uh, <laughs> so by the time you get to 1987, it sounds like a band like Deep Purple being like, well, you know, this is what sound is hip now. Exactly, it's what's selling, and well, they they nailed it, you know, right. Well, um, and 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 you can tell though that the success of that album is John Sykes because oh, big time, uh, because yeah. the you know the the second album that came out you know of course uh, Steve I was on that album slip of the tongue yeah and uh, you know they had the great the, playing the, but the, the kitten got claws and things like that but yeah. it just it, it it just didn't you know the different <laughs> on on the eighty seven record and then like on slide it in and Saints and Sinners I can tell you songs off those ones yes. slip of the tongue I can tell you well it had really good guitar playing on it right, right yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no I, real hooks I no, couldn't tell you a song. Yeah, you couldn't sing, like sing any of the songs or anything. But, I, mean, <laughs> right. I, I, I was also not the biggest White Snake fan in the world. I was, I was like David Coverdale. Thought he was a really good singer. Uh, right. Like, 
I loved the mm-hmm. Coverdale Page record because it sounds like he he's making the album that like he basically dreamt of making forever, and he's Absolutely. finally getting to do it. And you can Absolutely. tell that he's <laughs> and it's getting a, to do you that. know, and it's a it, it's a big middle finger to to Robert oh, Plant right too. Time. You know, big time. Uh, you know, Page was like, well, how can I really piss off Robert Plant? <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because he must Robert Plant must have let it go because it couldn't have been much more than like three years later that that Page Plant thing became a thing. Yes, yeah, yeah so I'm pretty sure it was my junior or senior year of high school. It was when, shortly when, after that when Page Plant. Uh, <laughs> The, the unleaded thing was yeah, the, so it worked yeah <laughs> so it all just sort of comes together glad you tried this out with with uh with david first uh so but then uh, there's some things like even within hair metal though with cycling back yeah to the yeah, pinning, yeah like honestly when you get a band like cinderella when you get to like heartbreak mm-hmm. station yeah dude there's kick-ass songs on there that aren't very hair rock at all they're right. like i don't know dude yeah i think people rode along on the hair and metal train while honestly they could and, i'm not a big fan of away. ballads but I will say they wrote better ballads than most of the other bands did. Yeah. If we're going to go ahead and accept the fact that we're here in the eighties and now you have to right. have a ballad on your record. You I honestly to. think you had, I to. honestly think their ballads are better than most of them. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you I mean, released the, the party song to get everybody's attention. Mm-hmm. And yep. then it was the power ballad to, to really kind of put you over the top. Thanks. Home was, sweet home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Well, just I say that as somebody who used to be a huge fan of Home Sweet Home, and I owned <laughs> yeah. Theater of Pain, and as a kid, and and, and, and I tune. cannot stand Molly Crew. I, I I I never could. We now yeah. now shout at the devil got our attention because it was like, holy shit, they're doing this on TV. What this right. is? Right. You know, oh, it was a spectacle. <laughs> right, right, and you know, but but then when you delve into it musically, you know, I I don't know. I've I've always said that that Mick Mars could write a riff. I mm-hmm. mean, he, you know, you know, to me he's a horrible guitar player, but but he could write a riff. But but they, you know, they they had to do something. They had to do something to sustain it and 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 it just it it it, it just in the 80s man it just kept getting more glammy and to me the more glammy it got the 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 less talent it took to make it i mean poison is a perfect example that you know they're they're horribly untalented and uh but yet they were the 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 poster boys of of yeah. hair metal as far as they're one of the hugest bands of the genre so mm. they became the torchbearers yeah mm. yeah and that and that just you know you know to me that it, if you know, if, you know, because blue jeans went out and, and you had to wear parachute pants and, and they had to be, you know, uh, and, and, and this is, you know, I, I was an owner of uh, turquoise parachute pants, you know, back in the, back in the eighties, man. Turquoise, I, really? Yeah. I, I had <laughs> wow. turquoise ones. I had, I had black ones that had yeah. gold zippers on them that when you unzipped them, they had then, then silver stripes down them. So they oh, were, wow. yeah, yeah, I was, I was happening, man. What are yeah. you Yeah. You saw them everywhere. I had, I remember I had a, I had a, I had a polka dot guitar. I had, uh-huh. you know, I, you know, you, you, you kind of went that way, but then it, you know, there, there kind of became a crossroads where, you know, were you going to serve the image or were you going to be a musician? Uh-huh. And, and I think that that's to me what separates hair metal from the good music of that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That seems like a good place to wind up. Do you have any other final Badlands thoughts? Um, uh, no, man. I just, uh, uh, 
you know, like I said, I, I appreciate the fact of getting a chance to kind of revisit this and, yeah. and, and thank you for kinda, coming in and doing this kind of, kind of listening to it, you know, 30 years later mm-hmm. and, and going, hey, what did I see in that? Uh, what was, right. you know, yeah. and, and, and what did I see in that kind of stuff? And, and, uh, and realizing that, uh, that I really don't like any Robert Plant clones. So, uh, <laughs> that, uh, cemented those things for me. It's a good so, lesson. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks for having me though. All right. Thanks Scott. <laughs> We'll see you next time. All right. Bye, everybody.